Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast. Hope everybody had a reasonably good weekend, and most importantly, that everybody is safe and well as we continue to deal with this unprecedented coronavirus pandemic. Uh, No hockey on the horizon right now, but we have lots of news to discuss. We will also, of course, look back at this date in Islanders history and We will take a look at some of the worst trades in Islanders history today. Tomorrow, we will look at some of the best trades in Islanders history, and we've got a lot more to discuss as well. As far as the NHL is concerned, will be very interesting to see how the league decides to handle the current situation. And... Again, and I've mentioned this a few times on the show, out of all the leagues out there, the NHL may be the one that is most likely to try to resume and conclude the last dozen or so games of the regular season, mostly because the NHL, more than any other league, depends on box office in order to make ends meet. Now, It is possible that the league can resume sooner by playing games in empty arenas. And if that's the case, I think it's more likely that we do not continue the regular season, but that the league has an expanded playoff uh, series once play resumes. But again, too soon to really know what the league is going to do. Uh, We do know they've looked into July and August dates at the various arenas around the league, and the league is determined to try to get some, you know, form of playoffs and award that Stanley Cup, if at all possible. The tough thing is this, you know, there are 31 teams in the NHL, there are, let's say, six or seven teams right now that you know uh, are just not going to make the playoffs. The Detroit Red Wings are actually mathematically eliminated. The Ottawa Senators are just not going to make the playoffs. Uh, If you did a computer model, you know, 99.7% of the time, and I'm sort of making that number up, but I'm not that far off, uh, Ottawa is not going to the postseason. There, There are teams that you just know are out of it. And considering the situation with the health risks and the logistics involved, 
How, how would it feel if you're a Detroit Red Wings player to come back, try to play another 10, 12 games when you know your team isn't going anywhere? Uh, it may not be the smartest move the NHL can make. So we'll have to see how they decide to handle it. Again, the one thing we do know is that the NHL is going to try to do anything and everything they can in order to award the Stanley Cup in the year 2020, and that the league, no matter what, will not want to have the extension of the 2020 season and offseason interfere with the start of a complete and uninterrupted season in 2020-2021. So, Those are the parameters that we do know, and it'll be interesting to see where the league goes from here and where the country really goes from here. If you have a question that you want to ask us, a topic that's on your mind, or a comment that you'd like to share, please feel free to email us. The email address, as always, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. And if you leave your name and where you're from, we'll be happy to mention you on the air when we discuss your email. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles. And you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYRVSNYI. We will keep you up to date on the latest news and notes from around the world of the New York Islanders and the NHL as they happen. And, uh... You know, keep everybody up to date and hopefully entertained. We also, of course, anytime a new episode drops, we tweet that out, let our listeners know. And uh, if you're curious, our episodes usually drop around uh, a little after midnight, 12.30 a.m. Eastern Time, New York Time. So uh, if you're a night owl, if you're, uh, you know, stuck in the house overnight, can't fall asleep, please feel free to listen to us then uh, or at any time. Uh, really, so just uh, letting you know when the shows drop in case it fits your schedule better to listen uh, late at night because uh, a lot of night owls out there and a lot of people not having to wake up early right now for work. The big news over the weekend, and it really kind of hit on Friday after we had recorded the Friday show, um, because of the coronavirus situation, Construction on the Islanders' new arena near Belmont Park has stopped. And again, not a shock. I don't think Islander fans should worry too much about this under the circumstances. This is to be expected. We knew this was coming. Uh, The safety of the people working on the project obviously has to come first. And it is difficult when you're building a building and working with tools and bricks and steel and all those other things to keep social distance and and, and keep the workers safe. So for now, work has stopped on the Islanders' new home. The team right now has said that no delay in the opening of the arena, which is supposed to be ready in time for the 2021-2022 season. So, we'll see. And look, worse comes to worse. If the 
project is delayed for an extended period of time because of the coronavirus, I am more than confident that games could be scheduled at the Nassau Coliseum, whether it's for the first month or two of the 2021-2022 season, or even half a season or a full season, if need be, they will find a way. Obviously, we, we want the arena done right, we want it done safely, and we want it done as soon as possible, but we don't want to rush it uh to the point where somebody gets sick or somebody gets hurt. All right, if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Islanders is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Islander fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. And not just any podcast listener, a locked-on podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Islander fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated and has disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this locked-on podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, we'll be right back. We'll look at some of the worst trades in Islanders history and have this date in Islanders history More to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. Hi, welcome back to the Locked On Islanders podcast. Lots to talk about right now, but first we're going to go back in time for this date in Islanders history. We look at March 30th, 1983, the year of the Islanders' fourth Stanley Cup win. And on this date, the Islanders traveled to Landover, Maryland to the Cap Center, and uh, took on the Washington Capitals. Islanders entered this game 40-25 and 12. Caps 38-23 and 16. A Patrick division rivalry between two contending teams. Billy Smith was the goaltender for the Islanders, while the Capitals countered with Pat Riggin. He got the start for Washington. All right, early on, the Islanders... Breakout on top. Who else? Mike Bossy with his 58th goal of the year. Assists to Brian Trottier and Dennis Potvin at 7.53 as the three Hall of Famers combine to give the Islanders a one to nothing lead. Islanders extend that lead exactly 30 seconds later. Tomas Janssen, his 12th from Bob Bourne and Dave Longevin, and the Islanders were up by Two goals at that point. Washington does not quit. Mike Gartner, a future New York Ranger and future Hall of Famer, gets his 38th goal of the year from Bent Gustafson at 11:44. Islanders lead cut down to two to one at that point. But a mere 40, uh, 39 seconds later, excuse me, Brent Sutter. His 20th from Dwayne Sutter and Bob Bourne at 12:13, and after one period, 
the Islanders led 3-1. In the second period, Islanders extend their lead. Bossy, his 59th, his second of the game from Brian Trottier and Mike McEwen at 12.05. And it was 4-1 Islanders. And then Bob Bourne reaches the 20-goal plateau. He scores with assists to Tomas Janssen and Dwayne Sutter at 18.37. And again, you have a goal with a minute 23 left in the second period. That makes it 5-1 and really gives the Islanders some breathing room. Brent Sutter gets his second of the game and his 21st of the year early in the third period. Stefan Pearson and Dave Langevin with the helpers at 2.55. And then with a minute five left in the game, Bob Nystrom, his 10th from Stefan Pearson and Wayne Merrick. And the Islanders skate away with a 7-1 victory for Billy Smith, 22 saves. Uh, to earn the victory, only allowing that one goal to Mike Gartner. The Islanders, meanwhile, getting seven goals on 24 shots. Pat Riggin with a save percentage of only 7.08 in this contest. And for Washington, you know, they had one group that was just absolutely uh overwhelmed by the Islanders' attack. The following players for Washington, minus three. Timo Blomqvist, Mike Gartner, uh, Bent Gustafson, minus three. Rod Langway, the future Hall of Famer, minus three. Dennis Marouk and future Hall of Famer Scott Stevens. All of those players are minus three. For the Islanders, a lot of multiple point players Bob Bourne, a goal and two assists. Bossy with the two goals. Tomas Janssen, a goal and an assist. Dave Longevin, a pair of helpers uh, in this game. Stefan Pearson, a pair of helpers. Brent Sutter, two goals. Dwayne Sutter, two assists. And Brian Trottier, two assists for the Islanders. On the plus-minus side of things, one player leading the Islanders with a plus-four defenseman, Dave Longevin, and with shots on goal, Bob Bourne had five to pace the Islanders. Again, on this date in Islanders history, a dominant performance on the road, the New York Islanders beating the Washington Capitals 7-1 on March 30th, 1983. All right, we are going to step aside. When we return, we will talk about some of the worst trades that took place in Islanders history. And unfortunately, and I think longtime Islander fans are familiar with this, a lot of them had to do with budgetary restraints where the team just couldn't afford to keep some of the players they wanted to keep, had to deal them because they couldn't afford the salary and didn't get quite enough in return. Uh, Maybe the other way I should put it is, can you say Mike Milbury? But be that as it may, lots more to come right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, we are back here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. We're going to take a look right now at some of the worst trades in Islanders history. Tomorrow, we'll look at some of the best. We figured we'd go from bad to good rather than the other way around. So let's take a look back at some of these frustrating deals. And you got to remember, in the late 
1990s, early 2000s, the Islanders pretty much traded away uh, an all-star team, practically, of players. Now, here's one deal that was very, very frustrating to say the least. The Islanders sent Todd Bertuzzi, Brian McCabe, and a 1998 third-round pick to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Trevor Linden. Now, Bertuzzi was one of those players, he was a power forward. And look, power forwards, stereotypically, and we've talked about this when we were uh, on the show, when we were really uh, talking about, you know, some of the Islanders' prospects right now, Kiefer Bellows in particular, Power forwards take a little bit longer to develop because their size will not translate as well until they bulk up a little bit and mature a little bit physically. And when you're 18, 19, 20, that's not, you're not quite there yet. You have to be 22, 23, and then you have to learn how to use the size once you get it, playing against older, faster, more mature, stronger NHL players. So the Islanders end up parting with Bertuzzi. He had some fantastic seasons uh, with the Canucks and elsewhere. Ended up playing more than 1,100 NHL games, 770 points, and really shined. McCabe also had some very good years uh, playing more for Toronto than for Vancouver, but he really, uh, you know, really did shine for an extended period of time as well. Meanwhile, Linden played 25 games of one season and one full season with the Islanders. That's 107 games total, 28 goals and 36 points. Not bad, but he was certainly not playing up to the level that he played in Vancouver. Uh, you got the feeling he was not always happy to be on Long Island. Uh, and at the same time, considering how long Bertuzzi played for the Canucks, how well he played, and what kind of player McCabe went on to become, that was certainly a frustrating deal, to say the least. Another deal that was difficult also from that time period, the late 90s, the Islanders dealing Ziggy Palfi, who was back then by far their best player, uh, their biggest goal-scoring threat, and really the face of the franchise at that point. Uh, they sent Palfi, Brian Smolinski, Marcel Cousineau, and a fourth-round pick in 1999 to the Los Angeles Kings. In exchange, they got Ole Jokinen, Matthew Biron, Josh Green, and a first-round pick in 1999. Now, Jokinen was a pretty good player, but he only lasted one season on Long Island and did not really manage to make a big impact with the team. Biron played 74 games over parts of two seasons, and had a grand total of nine points. He never really developed into an NHL player. Josh Green, the third player they picked up in that deal, uh, played 49 games with the Islanders, 
26 points and uh, then was gone as well. So, you know, not a lot of impact. And even the first round pick, the Islanders drafted Taylor Pyatt with that one. One season with the Islanders played 78 games for them in 2000-2001 and totaled 18 points. Palfi, on the other hand, still had a lot left uh, in the tank. And he ended up, you know, scoring, you know, 85 to 90 points in a number of seasons, like, you know, after leaving the Islanders and 713 career points in 684 uh, NHL games for Zygmunt Palfi. And this trade really left the Islanders bereft of any offensive players who could really make an impact at that time. And it left the Islanders pretty much toward the bottom of the standings for a number of years. Another trade from that era, the Islanders sending Roberto Luongo and Ole Jokinen to the Florida Panthers in exchange for Oleg Kavasha and Mark Parrish. Now, look, the Islanders, not a lot of people remember, if you're, uh, you know, not old enough to remember it, uh, not a lot of people recall that Roberto Luongo started his career with the New York Islanders and had a pretty good, uh, you know, rookie season for the Isles. But the Islanders had the first overall pick in the draft that year, and they used that pick to select Rick DiPietro, to take over, they figured, hey, we, the young goalie we already have, we could trade him, and that's what they ended up doing. Jokinen ended up putting up some nice numbers. He had a 90-plus point season in 2006-2007 and played some very good hockey, so the Panthers got that. And with Luongo, they essentially got a franchise goaltender those don't grow on trees, to say the least. And let's face it, Luongo was, you know, he took teams to the Stanley Cup final. He was a better goaltender over the course of his career than Rick DiPietro. Now, had DP been able to stay healthy, that situation could have been different, and nobody could have known it at the time. But the Islanders didn't need a goalie at that point, and to trade one in order to you know, draft another did not necessarily make a lot of sense when you could have kept Roberto Luongo and then built around him using that first overall pick in the draft. So, big one there. Oleg Kavasha pretty much uh, did not come up big for the Islanders. He was out of the NHL by the time he was 27, only had 217 points in his career, and, you know, his best season, 51 points in 2003-2004. Mark Parrish had a 30-goal year in 2001-2002, played parts of five seasons with the Islanders. But, basically speaking, acquiring Mark Parrish and Oleg Kavasha for Ole Jokinen and a franchise goalie in Roberto Luongo, not a great deal right there. For the New York Islanders, and again, one of those, uh, one of those frustrating trades that really hurt the Islanders 
over the years. Um, this one also sort of was one of those situations where the Islanders felt like they had to move on from a high-priced, highly productive player. And the Islanders franchise was in a tough situation, and the players that they got in return in this deal really were not happy to be Islanders. The Islanders send Pierre Turgeon to the Montreal Canadiens, along with Vladimir Malakov, a, a pretty darn good defenseman at times. Uh, in return, they got Captain Kirk Muller, Matthew Schneider, and Craig Darby. Now, you got to remember, Turgeon was the heart and soul of that Islanders team that went on that 1993 playoff run to the Eastern Conference Final. Um, meanwhile, you know, Malakov had a couple of pretty solid seasons as well. Uh, Turgeon's best year, 132 points. That was 58 goals and 74 assists in 1992-93. And in 255 games with the Islanders, he scored 340 points. Now, yes, points were more prevalent back then, but, you know, still, uh, an elite player at that point, an elite offensive player. Kirk Muller played 27 games with the Islanders over parts of two seasons, scored 15 points, and his heart really wasn't in it. He did not want to come to Long Island, and Captain Kirk's attitude was questioned by a lot of people at that point. Matthew Schneider had his moments, uh, certainly put up a couple of decent seasons, played 78 games with the Islanders, put up 56 points, but again, traded away before he had all that much of an impact. And Craig Darby, the third player that the Islanders got in that deal, 13 games for the Islanders, two points. And again, Turgeon ended up being a very effective player for the Canadiens on some very good Montreal teams, while Malakov also had some productive seasons ahead of him, and the Islanders, you know, did not uh, benefit very much from this trade. We'll look at one more while we're at it, and this one really did turn out to be a disaster, and uh, thank you for this one, Mike Milberry, because uh, it haunted the Islanders for quite some time. The Islanders acquired Alexi Yashin on June 23rd, 2001 from Ottawa. And in exchange, Ottawa got Bill McCault, a serviceable forward, pretty good forward. Zidano Chara, who last time I checked, 19 years later, is still in the National Hockey League, is a bonafide future Hall of Famer. And the... Number two overall pick in the 2001 draft, and who did Ottawa draft with that one? Some guy named Jason Spezza, and Spezza went on to, uh, you know, have a few very, very productive seasons, to say the least, with Ottawa. A perennial all-star uh, for the Senators, who put up 630-goal seasons, was still active this season, and essentially scored 341 goals and 940 points in 1,123 NHL games. 
look, and we all know more or less what happened with Zdeno Chara becoming one of the greatest defensemen of his generation. All right, tomorrow we'll look at the best trades in Islanders history, and there are a lot of them. We'll go from more or less Mike Milbury to Bill Torrey, let's put it that way. Anyway, that's going to do it for us right here on Locked On Islanders. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL for a national perspective on the world of hockey. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. Keep your social distancing. Wash your hands. And together, we will get through this. Enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks for listening. And of course, let's go Islanders.